Welcome to another episode of Northwestify, the podcast where we talk about tech and business in the Northwest. And today we have Rob Sambach with us. Hi, Rob. Hi. Hi, John. Hi, Zach. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, Rob, you're the MD of Indie Springs, is that right? I am. Yeah, yeah. So we want to hear about you and about that business, obviously, today. Um, so maybe, look, we'll just start off. Just tell us a bit about the business. What does it do? Sure. So we're a digital agency based in Manchester. Um, we, we do mobile apps primarily now. Sort of classic digital agency story really started off with doing anything for everyone. Ten years ago now, we just celebrated our 10th birthday. Uh, but we've over the, over the years, we've honed into mobile apps as our specialism. Brilliant. Great. And uh, I'm having a sneaky look at your LinkedIn profile and you've been a techie for a long time, but that wasn't your like, uh, what should we say, your professional qualification? No, 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 no. So I went to Manchester University, I'm a Mancunian born and bred, went to Manchester University and did geography, uh, didn't, didn't do too well at it, but basically spent my student loan on a on a Mac Mini, I think it was at the time when they'd just come out, the, the old white plastic Mac Minis and taught myself to code left university with a geography degree and managed to it was about I think it was 2008 I graduated so it wasn't a great time for finding jobs but managed to, to, to through a family friend joined a, a great digital agency in Stockport who gave me a, a load of opportunities brought me in as a coder realized I wasn't very good at coding so moved me across into our account management quite quickly so yeah enjoyed that the sort of customer facing side of the role but with a bit of an engine and I think most people most coders say I know just enough to be dangerous um so yeah, it's helped. It's helped as we uh, as as we grew, especially in the early days when I was jumping on and and fixing things myself. So you were a CTO, I've seen. So you you never had that. Um, you never tempted to dabble. Then you said that's that's the old uh, the old plight of the CTO. Is like oh, I'm not allowed to dabble. They keep me well away from that now, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I dabbled once too many times, and now I'm, I don't think I even have access to anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, safety first and all that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a brilliant story, really cool and great. You know, brilliant to hear like another success story coming out of Manchester, and that's 10 years. Um, I spoke to someone else who runs a digital agency in Manchester. There's a few people in that in that field, and he said the first 10 years are the hardest. <laughs> so I, I think know. you've got yeah. <laughs> good to know. Have you do you feel like you've got over the hardest, or do you think yeah, it's like I think, I think it, like everything, it's in phases, isn't it? Uh we're at the stage now where we're trying to bring in a senior management team and you know, we feel like we need someone to head up finance, someone to head up marketing, someone to head up ops and and trying to find all of those salaries and, and the, the people, frankly, and the salaries that, that they, they would expect is challenging. Uh, so that, that's the sort of phase of the growth journey we're going through at the moment. But that said, you know, earlier on, it was when do we get a new office? That, that was a huge expense for us each time we needed to get a larger office. Uh, and, you know, we, we were doing flexible and hybrid working at the time, but we still felt and still feel it's important to get together as a team once or twice a week. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it just changes uh, early on. It's cash. And you think, oh, all your problems will be solved when you're not so worried about cash. I'm not sure that way ever fully goes away, but uh, it moves on, you know, people. It moves on to finding the expertise. Um, and the other challenge I've got personally now, you know, I, I taught myself to code, well, 15 years ago, something like that now. Uh, my knowledge is falling behind. So, you know, to go back to your point, okay, I'm not allowed to touch the live systems, but I am trying to keep keep my hand in on, on personal projects and so on to keep abreast of the changes in the space. 
uh, which is just a personal challenge I have. It's interesting the journey that you mentioned in there as well, Rob, because obviously 10 years is a really, really long time in business, even though it feels like a really short time. I was actually at an event the other day where I think it's 42.5% of businesses between 2014 and 2018 didn't survive, that opened, wow. it didn't survive beyond five years. So, you know, it shows you, you know, one, you're doing something right. But, but two, like you said, you're actually going on a journey after that period of time, 10 years down the line, you're now looking at really moving it forward. You know, what are the things that you've sort of, well, hang on a minute, have we got enough time for this? I was going to say, what are the things have you got, you've learned along the way? And, you know, obviously breaking past that barrier of that five-year thing, which a lot of businesses don't survive within. Why is it such an exciting time now for you to move it forward in the way that you're thinking of doing? I think, uh, I mean, I've obviously learned a lot. I've definitely made my fair share of mistakes. I think, you know, the exciting opportunity we've got now is if we've survived this long and we've survived the past couple of years that we've just had, uh, it feels as though that's the rockiest the waters are likely to get, um, hopefully, touch wood. And yeah, I think I think now's a, now's a wonderful time. If there has ever been a period that companies are embracing technology, transformation, mobile apps, remote, you know, personal devices, it's now, which represents a great opportunity uh, for our market, if you will. As I, as I mentioned before, we, we've been doing flexible working since since day one. So for those first couple of years, we didn't have an office. We had contractors all around the world work, working for us. So it feels as though we've got a bit of a leg up there and experience of what works and what doesn't. And I'm currently pulling together a, a book on that to try and share some of those experiences we've had over over 10 years of figuring this out, particularly within the tech space. But I think a lot of what we've learned applies more broadly than that. Yeah, and I think it's just an exciting time, isn't it? As I say, the challenges change. The, 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 what I'm enjoying more, more than ever is just figuring out what the challenges are at each stage of the business journey. And as I say, they move, uh, they, they, they change uh, every day. It's something new, um, both technically on client projects, but also as a, as a business owner and leader. Certainly the last two years weren't something I'd anticipated, but we, I think we navigated that quite well. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to seeing what's next, really. So I, I'm curious, I'm the, the sort of on the tech question. You said you did a bit of everything at the start and then you found your niche in, and you got into mobile apps and that's your specialism now. And that's where, you know, you've laid out your stall, so to speak. What uh, pushed that decision? Yeah, great question. So I think it was two things. We, the, the first major client we had, we were building iPad apps. So it was right as the, the original iPad came out. So we've always been doing mobile I think, as I mentioned earlier on, when you're young uh, and cash is a challenge, you, you accept any job. You, you, you know, you're not as established in your marketplace. You haven't got the retainers. So you, you sort of obliged to take on a bit of everything, uh, which we did. Uh, and, you know, we, we did very well and had some great relationships with clients over those early years. I think over time we found it was a mixture, really. Internally, we enjoyed the app projects a bit more. They were a bit more fulfilling technically, a bit more challenging, meatier projects. I think in the marketplace, the requirements of a web agency have changed it's become a little bit more commoditized maybe 10 or 12 years ago building websites was something that we, we could uh, offer good value but certainly command a larger price for than we could now so a bit of it's the market moving a bit of it's what we enjoyed uh, and, and a bit of its experience you know as i say we've been building these apps now for for 10 years we've got a device library we've got our processes we understand the technology so uh, yeah, it's, it's all those factors coalescing, really, and, and us finding a space in the market that, that we're comfortable operating in and we can you know, bring value to our clients, which I believe we do. 
It's, it's so interesting listening to you, Rob, as well, because, you know, so many things resonate. I think, you know, what you do, you know, you, you question there, John, why did you end up being there and stuff like that? You know, like, I think most businesses just start off, don't they? And they've got an idea what they want to do. And then as they go along, they, they see new avenues and new opportunities. And they also get to realize what they're good at and what they're not good at and what they like doing and what they don't like doing. And then from there, it takes you forward. And I think then, obviously, once that platform starts getting built, like you say, there's a bit more money in your pocket you become maybe less risk averse and you become a little bit more risky because you know that you want to run faster so I think it's a fascinating journey that all businesses go on in the respect of like you start off apart from those very very successful businesses that start off on that path and they go this is what we're going to do we're going to stick to it and we're going to be like that for the rest of our life I think the rest of it you generally find new avenues as as probably you know as well, John, from what you you did when you set up Crater, you know, and what happened with you and how you sort of decided that this is what it's going to look like. And then a year or two or three years later down the line, you're like, oh, I'm not a minute. It could work slightly differently. So Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because what I what I like about what you answered there is you said that the commoditization of certain aspects of, you know, being online or being the web. And you, I, I think back to, you know, when, the dot-com boom and everyone wants to get online and everyone's every hairdresser and, and butcher wants an online presence um, and probably still do right but most couldn't afford it and then it became available and then you could you know you could now you can pay a few hundred pounds and get it or you can do it yourself and that's all like washed away and so then the next layer was things like e-commerce became somewhat commoditized you know not commoditized but specialized you know there were e-commerce specialists um yep. and then so that took so you've got all your digital brochure clients if you like and then you've got the sort of in, more interactive ones but a lot of those are e-commerce then you've got your e-commerce specialists so then it's everything else and yeah, I think differentiating yourself as an app provider means that you're the kind of person you're going to speak to has got deep enough pockets to realize that they need to build an app and they know they're going to build, it's going to cost them, but it's, it's, a viable, it's viable for them. You know, whereas I think sit, sitting in that web space can be really challenging because it's so broad from the, the people who just want a, a fairly limited digital presence to, to something really extravagant that they they can't and they they have no idea what the cost range would look like so I, I was really interested to see that and and hear that that was the, like the decision around that and it's really interesting what you say there because what happens is we end up in a scenario like you said where everyone wanted a website everyone got a website no one really used it very effectively apart from it being more of here we are this is who we are. And then COVID hits and then all of a sudden everyone's scrambling to start utilizing the website because that's how you're going to purchase stuff. So everyone's then putting money into that. Mobile phones. I mean, my kids, five and seven years old, pick up my mobile phone and they just use it like automatically. You forget, it was probably around 2006, 2007 that iPhones really started getting used by the general public. Is yeah. that right? Maybe not you, Rob, because I don't know how old you are, but certainly me and John um, ne never had anything like that in our lives before. And yet that's how you do your business. That's how you operate. That's how you do everything now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the technologies have matured as well, haven't they? So when we were building apps, you had to worry about cross-browser, ensuring your website works across browsers, bugs, different versions of JavaScript. To a large degree, that pain's gone away, away now, even when you're building bespoke products. And there are now tools that allow you to uh, you know, build build sites that frankly are as good a quality as, as you're likely to get from an individual. 
or a freelance or an agency, but but by yourself for a couple of quid a month. Uh, and I, I think you're right. You know, there's, there's no doubt that will happen to to, to apps to a degree too. I'm sure. So the challenge we've got as an agency without a product is to is to keep on evolving and staying ahead of the curve and looking at what we think's next because there's there's a lot of red herrings. The key is figuring out right which of these big uh, topics that that people get very excited about, especially in an era like we're living in now, where there's a lot of money flying around, a lot of investment, a lot of hype and buzz around new technologies. Which which one of these are going to you know systemically change society versus be a bit of a flash in the pan and uh, that's that's one of the exciting parts about running an agency. It's it's easier for us to pivot, frankly. Uh, if we were a product company, it would be harder to you know pivot and evolve our product and platform and bring our customers along and so on. We've got an agility that allows us to pick and choose projects and you know invest in in technologies that we believe might be the future. Yeah, no, I, you know, you, we talked about the commoditization even of the app space, and it, it to some extent does exist. And you you know you go you go and look and you'll find. Uh, offerings where you can white label your product or you let, let's call it your hotel and it's a room service booking app and you can book, you know, you download our app and it's, but Apple actually have sort of helped here a bit in a way. And I don't say that very often um, in that they've added like one or two clauses into their acceptance criteria. You'll know all about this. Like it, you can't just put in like a white label that it has to be something above and beyond what's available on the website. And, um, that only that only makes sense in an in an app, and you know, I mean, you must you must know it's like dealing with Apple, right? They, they their rules and their acceptance. It's you've probably got a team of people who know the Apple T's and C's. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, and one of the biggest, you know, I would say most inquiries, probably over fifty percent of inquiries we get don't require an app. Not just Apple won't, won't allow it through, but but frankly, it isn't worth the investment. There are only very specific times, really, that that an app is required. And for most ventures, it, it makes more sense to start on the web, honestly. And that's a conversation we have with clients quite a lot. And so it's funny, we talk about the commoditization of web and certainly the brochure sites that you mentioned, absolutely. But actually, I say we do apps, we still do a lot of web work. You know, that that's bread and butter, part and parcel of the delivery side of our business. But the real difference I'd like to think we make for our clients is the strategic thinking and consultancy up front that might be advising actually an app isn't required here let's go with the web route let's get to market quicker let's test and iterate before we invest all the money and time into, into building that application this might be a really naive question but i'm gonna ask you guys because you are techie why uh why these gazillions of apps in there why are some crap and some you can't live your life without you know is it because of the, the certain is it because of the industries that they 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 utilize like so for example banking apps are just incredibly important now aren't they whereas something else isn't is there any is there any sort of something specific recipe is is it sort of i.e because the app's really good you'll use it more or is it just all about daily life functioning what's good and what's not that makes sense yeah it's, it's a great question and i think you know why is an app not very good it's either the proposition is poor or the implementation is poor and i think a lot a lot of the time it's proposition people think they need an app as i alluded to earlier uh, when they don't one of the things people don't immediately understand about apps is that the download the barrier to entry is pretty significant certainly versus the website so I can send you to a website very easily. You click and you go. With that, you've got to direct the person to the app store. They need to be on their device in the first case. Otherwise, they need to remember when they next get to their device. They need to either locate that app or be linked to it, click download, type in their password, PIN code or face ID, wait for it to download, then go and find it, then open it. 
then often they're presented with, you now need to register. It's just a real hurdle to get users over versus a relatively simple click and bang you into the experience on the web. So, you know, I think unless the user, there's a real exchange of value to jump over that hurdle. It's often, we don't even get that far. So, so I think the, the propositions are challenged. Implementation, that they are hard, they are expensive. The ecosystem moves very quickly. So an app that looked great two years ago now won't be dealing well with folded phones and notches and, uh, and that kind of thing. So if things get outdated very quickly. So if you're not earning the revenue to invest, suddenly the app looks old. Um, yeah, and I think, I, think, I think it's a combination of those factors primarily, Zach. I, I don't want to talk about apps in business the whole time, but I am interested. One thing you said I think is really, is you just dropped it in, but exchange of value. I think I love that expression that you, you know, you're not just, it's not one way, you know, like they're, they're getting something and giving something in return. You know, the user has that. It's like, why would I download this versus, oh, I get this in return and that's the exchange or part of the exchange and maybe the proposition yeah, is part of that exchange. Absolutely. And, and that's where concepts like progressive onboarding are really useful. We can use technologies like progressive web apps and so on. So a great example is um, someone that we're working with sells tickets for tourist attractions. What, what they'd like to do is once the users access their ticket, potentially sell them a bundle, an add-on, an upgrade, something like that. That's all powered within the app. But you know, if that, if that company forces their users to download an app, log in, enter their ticket. It's just a nightmare of an experience. If we can use a simple progressive web app that they simply link to from an email, the QR code's there, and then there's a little banner that says, oh, by the way, you can access the attraction with this, but if you'd like 20% off of the gift shop or whatever that exchange of value is, our app is available over here. You just ease that onboarding process a little bit and the, the user can get what they want quickly and then make a decision around whether they're, willing to go through the, the process of onboarding with the app. And, and, and that's where you move beyond a, a business coming to us and saying, we need an app that displays tickets and upsells gift shop vouchers. And you move into a bit more consultative piece around, well, I think what you actually need is a PWA that integrates with this system, then a native app behind that, and some means of tracking users that have come through to keep them signed on if they've already authenticated there and, and things like that. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's viewing it holistically rather than just, we need an app with tickets in, which I think is a challenge. Yeah, it's fascinating listening to you. And like you mentioned about the value proposition there, and that's like, you know, I've noticed, okay, you can look at a value proposition in the respect of like from a banking app, you can't go into a bank anymore. So it's really valuable to know where you're up to with stuff like that. You know, the weather apps, I think people use a lot because they want to know what's going on and what they're doing. But also I've noticed just recently, and by the way, this is not a, an advertising plug for them. However, if they do want to pay us a load of money, that's up to them. But I've noticed me using Tesco's just recently you know and they've their, their value is really interesting because it's not something that's used in the format of like trying to check where you are up to with your banking or what's going on with the weather it purely is if you download this now rather than using this thing this little doily that you used to have on your key ring yeah you know half the price well they sell the club card price so much more. So it made me go and download the app because the amount of times that I went to the till, left my keys in the car and thought, my God, I'm having to pay all this extra money. Whereas now I've con I'm constantly using that Tesco's app because I'm going, well, actually, I'm going to save myself. Well, allegedly, it's probably priced down anyway because they've got loads of stock. But anyway, you know, the point I'm making is, is that you do use it because you are actually getting value from a monetary perspective. Like, you know, some of the products that are out there on the market as well, like reward systems and so on and so on. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Sainsbury's also do that really well, Zach, to, to access the offers that they offer. 
it's poor English. Um, you have to access the app and, and go and subscribe to them each week. And within there now, for those who are familiar, you're being pushed to start getting smart shop only offers, wherein you use a device in store to scan everything and check out yourself. So they're trying to drive presumably operation. I don't, we don't work with Sainsbury's, but I presume they're trying to drive operational efficiencies around checkout and so on by encouraging users through the mobile app to uh, you know, to, to shop using their in-store devices and, and therefore skip the checkout. And it's very likely those in-store devices are Android devices as well, which are themselves mobile apps. And that, that's the other side of, of the mobile app space that people often forget. We think of the consumer apps, the sort of sexy branded apps that we get from the app store. But, um, you know, almost the majority of the work we do is actually back of house, business as usual, ops, process driven applications. And Android in particular has enabled businesses to take advantage of these handheld units that have scanners, have torches, have location, have accelerometers, to do things that you know bespoke custom devices maybe ten years ago, which may have cost several thousand pounds. We can now use a you know a handset which we can acquire for a couple of hundred pounds, um, and so that opens up massive opportunities for particularly SMEs to 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 scale. You know, one company that we were in discussions with. Uh, run warehouses so you know they've got logistics issues they need to use these complicated scanners to scan inventory makes sense they have to scale up for black friday and christmas massively and they're constrained by the number of devices they have uh, they're looking at investing in building a, an android app to deploy internally so users can either bring their own devices or be handed a, a cheap device on site just for that you know the, the, those few weeks or months a year that they need to scale up and they won't be as efficient as the built for purpose devices, but they will allow that company to scale and grow rapidly without a significant investment in, in, in infrastructure and, and devices. Yeah, so it's fascinating. Some of these new apps as well that I'm seeing or apps or whether it's even on the website where you can literally just scan your phone on your floor and it puts the floor in your kitchen or your yeah. kitchen in your room. It's amazing. It's yeah, absolutely it amazing. You, you know, you're doing your job for me, Zach. Uh, you're doing my job for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking, I think, about augmented reality and, and, and that kind of thing, which is, the, which you know, is something that is coming. And no one quite knows, I don't think, whether it's going to be wearing big headsets and running around the metaverse or using your phone. But already there's some great examples of apps, as you just alluded to. You know, one client we're working with uses augmented reality to allow uh, diagnosing uh, boiler problems at home so user holds obviously not going into the boiler but if it's user can hold up phone uh, agent in call center can see what they're doing or just press that button draw arrows on right you need to press this button or maybe move this switch there um, it just makes it a lot simpler for people rather than that right what's on your screen that right can you see this button to, to the left uh, just simple implementations like that great use case for an app you can't do that through a website so great example of of what apps allow us to do that that, that websites don't and, and somewhere that the user is getting a more than fair exchange of value um, you know we can send an engineer to you next week or you can grab the app now and i'll talk you through what you need to do kind of thing did you did you ever think when you were sitting in your geography lectures all those years ago that you'd be on this podcast talking about apps no i mean that's <laughs> something that didn't exist presumably <laughs> uh, no in the very early days yeah um and they certainly not. We weren't talking about augmented reality. I think we were on Second Life around then. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's yeah. The world's moved on unbelievably. It's just the change, the, the pace of change, and the change itself is just yeah, incredible. So can we talk about some maybe some of the other careers you had? Like you've been CTO in a couple of other businesses. Is that right? And was it did you come in as that role into those businesses? 
Yeah, so uh, it's really interesting. So as I mentioned before, clearly we're an agency. So we're working on lots of different projects at different times. Um, occasionally we get involved, you know, outside of a sort of standard commercial relationship whereby we might be invested in a product or or putting some time in in return for results-driven pay and, and that kind of stuff. And then there are others that we, we, we truly really get excited about uh, and allow me to flex different muscles and and sort of go back to that right we're launching a product ourselves and so on so yeah i've been i, I am lucky enough to be involved with with two, two of those one's tybalt which is a, a solution for procurement to governments um with, with a, a partner over in australia actually and the other is gratu which is a um a mobile tipping solution that relies on geolocation so essentially allows anyone to, to, to tip a service provider if they are nearby them without having to exchange bank details, email addresses, name, even names, really. Um, so that might be appropriate, you know, tipping bar staff or, or, or that kind of thing. So, yeah, both, both very much startups, both very exciting, both uh, opportunities for me to uh, get involved beyond just the technology and, uh, and, and live the life of some of these startups uh, uh, seeking investment and so on. So quite quite exciting for me. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, let's find out a bit about the real Rob though. So what do you what do you do when you're not doing when you're not doing all the stuff we've just been talking about? Are you are you a are you a gym goer? I am not, or... as you can probably tell. Although I've cropped it quite nicely, so you probably can't. Uh, no, I'm not not a gym goer. Um, uh, it's that's not my thing. No, I mean I I enjoy five aside. Um, I think you know my, my, the main thing I enjoy. I've got a catering car, which for those who are familiar is the Sort of an old school kit car that, that I like to take to tracks and very fortunate enough to be, to be able to do that. So, yeah, enjoy that. I've got a young family, a, a two year old and a six month year old. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the pandemic's been, been lightened up by having the, those two in our lives. So very fortunate that we got to spend so much time with them whilst uh, while still working. So, yeah, um, yeah, into my motorsport, into family time and all that kind of stuff. So they what, are- you should have said, what you should have said was, hi, my name's Rob and I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the kids who are pandemic natives, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I suppose that, yeah, how much is, are they taking in about the environment? But I, I, I always think about this, like what it must be like if you're a young child now going through this and it being effectively normal, you know, or perceiving to be normal and then going to where we're hoping to get to, uh, you know, we're back to what I consider to be normal. Yeah, exactly. You know, Jamie, who's two, will, will routinely go and sanitize his hands, you know, before he enters places or call us out if we haven't. So, yeah, very much on that percent. But then in the other end, he's gone to nursery and he's, you know, one of the things we were worried about is I think, he, you know, for the, the worst part of it, he was, uh, sort of one one to two it was that year um and so it was that age that you really start interacting with your peers and we were a bit worried about oh well he's not really he's not learning to share he's not on playgrounds taken to but actually we've been very you know the, i think his resilience has surprised us and he, yeah he's caught up pretty quickly so we're very fortunate it, it is amazing that you know with children like i had quite a rough time at the start of the pandemic for for numerous reasons my father being very ill with it before anybody else was etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know i think kids do pick up on it however i do find that they're so resilient and they do sort of go through it really really quick i mean it's quite funny i've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and they walk in i'm like how's school and they're like yeah it was all right and i was like anybody off today yeah such and such a buddy was off i reckon they've got coves <laughs> and then, and then, then the next one will be like 
Really? And they're like, nah, they've not got coves. They're fine. They've just got a poorly tummy. <laughs> it's just so funny, like, listening yeah, to them interact. Yeah. But, like, what, what I, yeah, exactly that. What I find is, you know, having gone through, like, a really tough time with it, because it was very much before it was actually sort of in the streamlined media and stuff like that, and then watching them sort of see what was going on at home, because it was a very, very stressful period, um, with COVID because really let's face it up until I would argue probably the past three four months maybe even maybe a bit more than that it's now starting to be even more so now we now start to be a lot more confident about COVID aren't we whereas before when people were becoming ill it was arguably potentially a death sentence unfortunately whereas now it's starting to become more of a uh, and I'm not trying to downgrade it by the way whatsoever but it's starting to feel like it's more uh, manageable and you know it, it doesn't sound as if it's quite as severe as what it was but it's just interesting how the kids are able to sort of just you know they still cut through it and just go right okay yeah well it's just that's just the way it is and it's coves and that's that's yeah, what it is yeah so, yeah exactly yeah rob so how, how did you yourself fare during pandemic what was your uh, incredibly fortunate, honestly, John. None of our immediate family were were affected or have been affected by it so far. So, uh, yeah, and we, we even managed to sneak a holiday, which is something that, that we very much enjoy. So we were very lucky uh, and very privileged to, to to get through it without any major dramas. Yeah, I think I think like everyone, you, people just dealt with it in the in the way that they had to, didn't they? And it, we we were fortunate enough to be able to. As I say, book a holiday, everything was refundable. It would have just been an inconvenience. It got pushed back three or four times, but we did manage to go. And that certainly helped us and spend some time outside of, uh, you know, the four walls and so on. So, yeah. Um, so from a personal perspective, it wasn't enjoyable, certainly. But, you know, compared to some of other people's journeys, feel very grateful for that. You So you didn't learn like a new instrument. You're not going to treat us to a bit of Wonderwall or something. I'm afraid not, no. No. Uh, uh, no, nothing that exciting. Uh, I learned how to be a dad, I suppose. Is a, yeah. <laughs> well, hey. well, not that that's a, a journey that's uh, been completed. But no, the, the real silver lining was being able to spend time at home and see Jamie's first steps and things like that. You know that that I, I probably would have missed honestly without it. So uh, yeah, that 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 was. You know, it wasn't always great fun, but it certainly as a total experience, very very enjoyable. Amazing. It's, it's so good that you can talk about stuff like that because there are things that you do, you know, like we get wrapped up pre-COVID. We got wrapped up very much into, you know, we went to work in the dark. We came home in the dark, whether it was in the dark or in the light. It was normally from eight till eight at night and stuff like that. Whereas you do get to spend some quality time with them and, you know, little things like that, like you say, footsteps, you know, watching the first ones. It's amazing, isn't it? Whereas now, I don't know how you feel, John, but mine's more about watching my bank balance when they've been on Amazon for five minutes or you know so <laughs> H&M, H&M is the one I need to check for I think I held the bank to alert me if H&M have been called <laughs> yeah there's certainly certainly uh, some of these slick apps of something to answer for when it makes makes the checkout so uh, seamless say. yeah uh, I mean Jamie's two and he walks into his grandma's house and said can we watch Paw Patrol on Netflix oh can we watch Paw Patrol my mum's struggling to find where that Come on, Grandma, Netflix. 
And oh right, you know, two, two. So it's what yeah. we said at the start, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how quickly they grasp it. Like uh, you know, our archer, they're probably at that age where they, they clearly don't understand the concept of money. All they understand is if they've done something really well, and like once we've said to them, right, okay, well, if you get a star this week, then you can buy something, and then all of a sudden, every time they get a star, that you know, it's twenty quid, and they can go on Amazon, but. They're so advanced with it. You know, you give them the phone, just they know exactly what to do. I said to my, I said to my eldest the other day, I said, you don't know how to buy it, do you? And she went, yeah, of course it is. You just press that button there and then click it twice and it's done and it'll come two days later. So I was like, no, you're not allowed to do that part. Yeah, <laughs> but, I know. You know that's, yeah. I think with smart speakers, you know, um, with smart speakers where you just talk, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't had to get there yet, but I'm sure there are parental controls around that and so on. But it, 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 yeah, as these things become easier, they become more accessible for everyone, don't they? Which which presents yeah. some challenges. I love I love how they get the sentiment with with like the the voice recognition where you can just say, "What's up with the weather?" You can say anything. Like it, yeah. it knows what you mean. You can. It doesn't have to be this exact phrase. I think that's so clever. And you were, you're talking about the kids being like so used to technology. And I remember an ad. Um, this is back when video uh, video players were new-ish, like not everyone had one. And there was an Amstrad and there was a picture of someone trying to use it, an adult with a very small child. And the ad said, so easy, even an adult could use it. And I think that the, this is pre-UX being a thing. Like, well, I think, you you know, now we call that UX, you know, where it was like, because they were, they, they were crazy hard to use video recorders. They were like, you needed a degree. I think the last bastion for that are the old telephone systems that don't have a screen, you know, like the office phone systems where you have to know like star star nine A2 to get your voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. All, all those sort of legacy systems, you see it a lot. Even now in, in technology, don't you, these green frame terminals. But the, the 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 bit I always love about it is once you know them, they're so unbelievably quick and efficient, you know. Um, you, you can just fly across it uh, because there's not all the helper UI and mouse and input and so on. Yeah, it's uh it's it's really interesting that that dichotomy. I mean, it's amazing, believe it or not, we've been talking for nearly 40 minutes now. That's how quick it's gone. It's been clearly a great show. I've really enjoyed this, because like, there's so many different things. But coming towards the end of, of, of our, our conversation, I think what I'd be keen to, and, and John probably would as well, unless John's got more questions, which is, what do you think the future holds for mobile, Rob? And, and what can you predict? Where do you think we're going? What's next? Predictions are scary, aren't they? Um, I mean, the ubiquity is there now of, of devices in pockets. I think for me that the, the, the more transformational stuff now comes as companies don't just transition what they offered on the web onto a mobile device. They come to learn and appreciate that the mobile device allows new opportunities in and of their own right. And we talk a lot about mobile first strategy uh, at Indie Spring, and it's that belief that that mobile isn't something you tack onto your proposition at the end. You start with it now and you you see that across, you know, just, just today as an anecdote in McDonald's, I was picked up a breakfast and most of the orders on the screen now are coming from app-driven orders rather than in the restaurant. And so the app isn't just about our nutritional value or where your nearest store is as it was even two or three years ago. It's now fundamentally changing McDonald's route to market. Um, and so I think for me, that's the exciting on the ground tactical bit. I know a lot of people get excited about the metaverse and NFTs and blockchain and all sorts of other things like that, which are very exciting. I, I think 
I'm probably not 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 the visionary to speak about those virtues. When I when I look at where I think most of our clients are headed in the next sort of two, three, five years, it's actually about adopting mobile and the opportunities that are here today uh, and making the most of them. I think the augmented reality you brought up, Zach, is a great example of something we can do with a device, with a camera that isn't just scanning a QR code. Uh, we're actually really using and harnessing the accelerometer and so on. We, we do a lot of work with a telematics company that uh, essentially we can use the device now to analyze learner drivers and new drivers driving um, and, and therefore offer them discounts on their insurance and, and things like that. that. That's all made possible because we've got a phone, not just a, a small screen access to the website, but we can use accelerometer and GPS data to do that kind of stuff. So that, that's my main piece of advice really is I think I think the exciting stuff is absolutely coming and applicable and interesting to read about. But for me, it's there's still so many more opportunities to be gained for particularly for SMEs, but but also for corporates who are who are a bit slower moving actually uh, around just using the technology we have and rethinking how that can fundamentally change your your, your route to market and the, and the services or products that you offer. Brilliant. That's really good. Really, really interesting. I think data analytics is another place where people are maybe not getting the best value out of their yeah, proposition absolutely. and their offering. Uh, so I do have a question for you then as well, before we finish up, which is, you know, you've been doing this for 10 years, right? And it's successful business. We can see that. And, you know, obviously you you know your stuff and that, that's come through uh, loud and clear talking to you. What would you say, you know, what advice would you give to anyone trying to set up a business now to get to the, as I call it, a sort of golden five-year mark? What's what What do they need? Don't know what that advice. Um, I mean, there's, there's all the cliches, isn't there? Perseverance, a strong vision. Um, you know, I think one of my my bugbears at the moment is it seems like, especially in our space technology, everyone seems to think that the only route to growing a company is through angel funding, Series A, B, C, and then sell for for a bazillion dollars. Uh, and I think there are other routes. Uh, and, you know, so we we've never taken investment. We, we've grown organically. I can't pretend to know what will and won't work for, for, for everyone. But, but my advice would be if you're thinking of starting in technology, uh, unless your product or technology really needs scale very, very quickly, in which case you probably do need investment to get there, uh, just consider alternative routes that don't require you giving up equity, that allow you to build a solid base of revenue, that allow you to grow at your own pace and, and, and deal with um, just pick up issues as they come, learn your people skills, management leadership over time rather than scaling too quickly with too much money and you know, effectively having to give away equity left, right and centre to fill those skills gaps. It's not, it's not better, it's just an alternative approach to consider. John, if you don't mind, I, I, I'd like to add to that as well because I find it's really interesting what Rob says there. I think one of the things that you, you tend to find in, in this day and age and that is because of how we're conditioned with access to information and access to everything pretty much at a click of a finger. And if you notice that, certainly in the past year since the pandemic, we've probably not, and Brexit and everything else that's happened, we've probably not been as accessible to goods as quickly as what we've wanted to. And, you know, everyone's a bit frustrated by the fact that not everything's on the shelf like it is before. So what Rob says there is, I think patience is required when you run a business. And I think that there's a lot of people that set up businesses and saying three years time, I want to be a millionaire. I want to sell it. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do the other. In five years, I'm going to be retired. And you know, how many people you can you look at who said they're going to retire by the time they get to a certain age and they're not even close to it. So one of the big things I think is patience. And I think if you are patient, you can still win the race. You can still get to where you want to get to. 
It doesn't have to be done overnight, like Rob says, and get loads of funding in and stuff like that. And there's a place for that. And there's businesses that need that. And there's businesses that want that. And there is people that want to do that quickly. But I think if we take the majority and the greatest proportion of people that don't invariably sell the businesses for £50 million after two years or three years, you know, most of us actually hang on to our business and they might be passed on or they might be sold at a very later day. But ultimately, if you're patient, you can build your proposition, you can get more money in your pocket and you can make better, more informed decisions rather than running as fast as you can, as quick as you can, because that's what the world today says that you should be doing. Yeah, I, and I agree with that, Zach. And I think what, what, I'm, what I've seen, or you know, when you speak to people who say, oh, I've got this great idea, I want to build this product and so on, and, and investment is their route, it, it's masking the fact that it might not be a great idea. <laughs> You know, that they don't have any business model that really stacks up and say, oh, no, we just need to get millions of users on board and be the next Snapchat, Facebook, whatever. It's like, well, that that works for a tiny proportion of people and businesses. That's for the vast majority of businesses. You need a business model that works and scales, you know, organically like you've done. So great. Brilliant to hear that. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Rob. We had a great time talking to you. It was fantastic. We got lots of uh, useful insights and we got to uh, have a good old chat. Um, if you want to get catch up with us, please uh, find us on usual places. Uh, Zach and I are both on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn page and you can send us a message there. Um, or we also have our own website, northwestify.co.uk. Thank you very much. Thanks very much.